Today is a good day. Amen. It's also a good day because Benny and Dustin are off in Orange County, so Jamie and I get to play church today while they are having their six-hour revival fest over in Ocean's Church. You're going to get out on time today. Uh, no. <laughs> no, we love our husbands, and they love church and revival. And uh, we just, I love being with church 1132. Man, you have a good church, huh? And ladies, what a great weekend it was at Women's Comp. It was just absolutely phenomenal. I have a great word for you today. Why don't you grab your Bibles, open them up to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, or, or start them up. Uh, Philippians chapter 3. Today I'm reading out of the Passion Translation. Now listen, I get it. I understand. Uh, you don't study out of the Passion Translation, okay? I got Jamie Bates on the front row keeping me accountable here. Um, but what the, trans what the Passion does is kind of helps unpack um, the, the language and helps under, helps us understand what the Apostle Paul and the Holy Spirit were trying to convey in language that helps us gain a greater understanding and insight into it. So I'm going to read out of that, um, uh, approach today. So Philippians chapter three, beginning at verse one. Now stick with me. We're going to read 10 verses, but it will be worth it. Amen. Philippians chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. My beloved ones, don't ever limit your joy or fail to rejoice in the wonderful experience of knowing our Lord Jesus. I don't mind repeating to you what I've already written because it protects you. Beware of those religious hypocrites who teach you that you should be circumcised to please God. For we have already experienced heart circumcision. And we worship God in the power and freedom of the Holy Spirit, not in laws and religious duties. We are those who boast in what Jesus Christ has done, not in what we can accomplish in our own strength. Can I hear an amen? It is true. I once relied on all that I had become. I had reason to boast and impress people with my accomplishments more than any other. For my pedigree was impeccable. I was born a true Hebrew of the heritage of Israel and a son of a Jewish man from the tribe of Benjamin. I was circumcised eight days after my birth and was raised in the strict tradition of Orthodox Judaism, living a separated and devout life as a Pharisee. And concerning the righteousness of the Torah, no one surpassed me. I was without a peer. Furthermore, as a fiery defender of the truth, I persecuted the Messianic believers with religious zeal. Yet all of the accomplishments that I once took credit for, I have now forsaken them and regard them as nothing compared to the delight of experiencing Jesus Christ as my Lord. To truly know him meant letting go of everything from my past and throwing all my boasting on the garbage heap. It is like a pile of manure to me now so that I may be enriched in the reality of knowing Jesus Christ and embrace him as Lord in all of his greatness. My passion is to be consumed with him, not to cling to my own righteousness based on keeping the written law. My only righteousness will be his based on the faithfulness of Jesus Christ, the very righteousness that comes from God. And I continually long to know the wonders of Jesus more fully. 
and to experience the overflowing power of his resurrection working in me. I will be one with him in his sufferings and I will be one with him in his death. I want to talk around the topic today, a good death. Father, we thank you so much. You've been so good to us. And Lord, we thank you that your word, it does not return void, but Lord, it goes down deep in our hearts and bears good fruit in our lives. Thank you, Jesus, for what you're going to do today. In Jesus' name we pray. Come on, can I hear an amen? Amen and amen. Um, such a powerful portion of scripture. I love being able to uh, preach the word of God. Uh, I love being able to talk for a living. I'm not as sure that my husband is happy with my gift of talking for a living. But I also have a, a whole family full of males that are verbal processors. So that's exhausting in and of itself. But I do talk for a living. I'm not only a pastor, but I'm also a coach. I'm a life coach and a communication coach. And um, one of the biggest roles in my coaching is that I help people reframe either circumstances or mindsets in their life. Previously, they may have viewed that circumstance or issue in a negative light. And what I kind of help do is reframe it in light of what we know the Bible says, which is, Everything that the enemy has meant for evil, God will turn for good. So we can take our past, we can take circumstances, we can take issues, and we can begin to reframe in our healing and see how God can take those things and then use them for our good. For the sake of our talk today, this is really what we're doing. We are reframing the understanding and the perspective around death. Now, I understand when we say the word death, we often think of it in connotations with things that are negative, with regret or grief or sadness or disappointment. And trust me, I've had a loved one that has gone to be with Jesus prematurely. And definitely there are all of those emotions wrapped up or surrounding a premature death. Today, for the sake of our conversation, we're not talking about that kind of death. Sometimes the English language doesn't give us enough a scope to fully help us understand the writer and what they're trying to communicate to us. In the context of what we're talking about when it comes to death, we're talking about growth. Anytime we want growth in our lives, there must be necessary endings in order to achieve that growth. If we want to grow, there has to be good deaths. Recently, uh, my oldest son made me a grandmother. BJ Perez made me a grandmother. Yes, I am the proud grandmother of a grandpuppy. His name is Brox and he is Brox. That's funny. Brock. It's just, it's, it's singular. <laughs> He may have multiple personalities. We'll find out soon, I'm sure. <laughs> he probably does. He's crazy. I don't believe in reincarnation, but you know how they say like grandchildren, it's like you see your kids in them. Well, I don't believe in reincarnation, but if I believed in reincarnation, like this kid is my third son, Benaya, reincarnated as a dog. Like he's insane. And he is the escape artist of all times. He's six pounds. 
like the the havoc that he wreaks in the amount of time and he that he does it in is astounding to me. So one of the first times that he came over to our house and and uh, we were wa- watching him. Uh, he's still, you know, working on being potty trained. And so we did the every hour on the hour, took him out, brought him back in. You know, I really thought I was in the clear. I was like, this is great. Like, we're good. No accidents. Awesome. Brock went home that night. The next morning I got up, walked around the coffee table, and he left me a surprise. See, Brock is very interesting because Brock doesn't stop to use the bathroom. He's like a deer. He just shoots it out and keeps going. <laughs> It's fascinating. I will be very glad when there is a necessary ending of the potty training era of Brock's life. Can I get a name, men from all the pet parents in here? I I was happy with my own children, right? That there was a necessary ending of their potty training days and they grew up. Anytime in life when there is growth, there are things that have to go away. There are attitudes, there are mindsets. We have to think differently. We have to talk differently. Our relationships change. The friends of the group friends change, right? We have to continue education and anytime that there's growth in our life, there are also endings in our life. The Apostle Paul is talking about the most important necessary ending of all time and eternity. The Apostle Paul is talking about the good death that had to happen so that you and I don't have to live in a religious system that requires us to measure up just a list of do's and don'ts that we don't have to earn our way into heaven or earn our way into relationship with Jesus. Jesus was sent to earth to die. Why? Because he had to fulfill the law so that you and I I could experience the grace of the new covenant so that we could experience justification by faith. What does that mean? That means that it is impossible for you and I to earn or deserve our salvation, but it is simply by putting our trust and believing in Jesus that we begin a relationship with him, a good death. The apostle starts this passage off in a very, very interesting way. And it's a continuous theme in his writing, as well as especially in the book of Philippians. And he starts it off in verse one. And he says, my beloved ones, don't ever limit your joy or fail to rejoice in the wonderful experience of knowing our Lord Jesus. I just want to give you a little bit of perspective about where the Apostle Paul is on his journey. He's about six years away from martyrdom. He's in his second incarceration, and uh, uh, he is writing this passage to the church that was started because of the first time that he was thrown into jail. He was thrown into jail in Philippi, where the church that he's writing to, 
and he starts singing at midnight and the jail cell begins to, to shake and, and, and the shackles fall off and they go out and the jailer's about ready to kill himself. They said, don't, no, don't kill yourself. Come on, just come and follow us. The jailer and his whole family get saved. They head over to Lydia's house and they start a church. This is the church that he's writing to. And now he's writing them to them from another incarceration, whether he's on house arrest or in prison. He's writing to them from jail. Let me explain to you the wonderful experience of knowing our Lord Jesus that is the walk of the Apostle Paul. Can I just give you perspective right now? He's been jailed. He's jailed again. He's going to be jailed a third time. And eventually he's going to be martyred. He's been stoned. He's been bitten by a snake. He's been shipwrecked. He's been worshipped as if he was a god and then told that he was obviously the devil because he didn't die from the snake bite, right? He has a thorn in the flesh. He's been rejected by his peers. He's had arguments with his brothers in the faith that have walked with Jesus this is the wonderful experience of knowing our Lord Jesus. Are you depressed yet? And it's just, it, it begs the question, what in the world? I don't know if you've ever felt like you're in a confined place. I don't know if you've ever felt like, 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 like whether, whether it's be, it be due to something you did or not. Whether you felt like your options were limited you felt surrounded on every side. This is where the apostle Paul sits and he says, don't ever limit your joy or fail to rejoice in the wonderful experience of knowing our Lord Jesus. How can the apostle Paul say this is because he's lived long enough to understand something that the joy is always in the journey, not the destination. See, if we rob ourselves of this understanding, what will happen is we will set a goal, right? We will look towards the future and we will want to accomplish something. And we will accomplish it and we will stand there in that accomplishment and we will look around and be like, where's the party? Like, I, I, I've denied myself. I've done all these things. I've stayed focused. I just thought when I'd get here, there'd be a party. And you're like, oh my goodness, there's no party because the party was in the journey every single day. We do a little bit of a disservice in the church because we rattle, you know, phrases off and they're biblical, but signs, wonders, and miracles. But what happens is when you, when you wrap that phrase all together, you begin to assume that every sign, wonder, or every miracle has to be wonderful or every miracle has to be awe and oh my goodness and this is amazing and I can't believe this and I was blind and now I can see. And what happens is, is it robs us of the miracles that are happening every single day in our life. Every day, God is doing miracles. You see, I understand that there might be, excuse me, lying symptoms in your body. I understand that you might even be sitting here today in pain, chronic pain in your body, but don't miss when you wake up and the pain is 10% lower. That's a miracle, baby. It's a small miracle, but we have to rejoice in the wonderful experience of knowing our Lord Jesus. I understand that the family member's not talking to you. They haven't talked to you in years, but there's reason to rejoice. I know they, they, they didn't actually 
respond to your text message. They just hearted it. You know how you can heart them on the iMessages? They just hearted it. That's a miracle. At least they responded. We have to learn to rejoice in the little miracles every single day. He continues on and he says, listen, I don't mind repeating what I've already told you. He says, listen, listen, this, this protects you. This protects you. Because he's going to begin to explain to them that, that beware of teachers that want to come in and dilute or add to the teachings of Jesus. Again, the Apostle Paul is writing this letter. Pastor Jamie spoke just a phenomenal, wonderful, and outstanding, brought me to tears. I'm not a crier, but she made me cry. You know it's really anointed. Someone can make me cry. The Holy Spirit is in the room. I know you've heard this all the time, but this is just very important to repeat that the Bible is written for us, but not to us. So the Apostle Paul is writing to the church at Philippi. The false teachers haven't come to Philippi. The false teachers actually came to the church in Galatia. And because they've already gone to Galatia, he's warning them ahead of time so that they could be aware. Now, it'd be easy to gloss over this because the three major teachings that were going around at that time was first that you had to have ethnic purity, that yes, Jesus came and he came for all of us. He came for the Jews and the Gentiles. So that means all of us are included in the kingdom of heaven. But now teachers are coming back in and say, no, it's actually just for the Jews. And the second thing was that uh, the teachers were coming in and saying, oh, great, we can preach Jesus, but you got to preach the law as well. You got to preach both of them in order to be saved. And the third one was that any male Gentile that was saved had to be circumcised. Again, right? As a 21st, is this the 21st century or the 22nd century? I don't know. I'm not the numbers person. That's Benny. But as the Christians that we are living today in 2023, that would be a better way of phrasing it, huh? I'm going to use that for the future. Um, <laughs> it'd be easy to be like, yeah, yeah. I mean, we don't have those issues in church anymore. Like, you know, and we just kind of gloss over it. But again, Bible was written for us, but not to us. Listen, there's no new problems in the church today. Please don't read your Bible and think that their churches were perfect. I don't know that you're reading your Bible if you think like the early church was perfect. This is just a hot mess. There's arguing about everything, but there's no new issues in the church today. Think about the ethnic purity. Think about the exclusivity that we have in church one denomination think that, thinking they're doing it's right, doing it right. The pride that we have in our approach, and I just look at it as like we're all just kind of different condiments to the same meal. Church LV, we're the Tabasco. I don't know what y'all are. You can choose, you know, but I don't know if there's a special Texas sauce that you want to be. But we just claim the Tabasco in Vegas. But you just need it all, and that's okay. And instead of focusing on the things that we do agree on, we draw dividing lines about, to be honest, most of it is just expression. 
The second thing is, is that they begin to mix the law with the grace teachings of Jesus. There's an, there's an obvious understanding here of just legalism. But legalism is really at its root thinking that we can do it in our own strength. And that manifests in a different way as well. Manifests with this idea, it's like, just Jesus in me, it's all I need. I just need Jesus. Don't need anyone else. Pretty sure you don't read your Bible either. Because <laughs> we're just completely overlooking the, the uh, Acts New Testament. I'm trying to think of the word and I can't think of the word, so I just keep talking until the word comes to my head. Because I don't use notes, sorry. That was just like a little insight to my process. <laughs> We just like completely overlook the book of Acts where it outlines, you know, what a New Testament church should look like. And they went daily house to house breaking bread. By the way, did you know in the New Testament church, they went to church every day? Y'all have it easy. Okay. We're like, oh, if we make it a church once a month, we're like, we're totally saved. Anyway, you are, you are, because it's not about your works. Amen. Okay. That idea, it's just me and Jesus, this independent spirit, it's not a bad thing. It's just like, it's just American. That's just like, that's just like the American dream mindset. That's not Bible. There's an interdependence and family mentality in the word of God, and we need each other. And can I just say something? Because I just think that this is really important. But the Bible calls us a family. And I don't know about you, but nobody triggers me worse than my family. <laughs> like, I can go anywhere, do anything. People are always like, you're so chill. Like, I'll tell stories about getting angry with my family. They're like, I could never imagine you angry. That's just impossible. And I'm like, yeah, because you don't trigger me. You don't know me. I don't know you. You're not a trigger. My family is. So yeah, you're going to get triggered at church. They're your family. The last one is that all uh, the male Gentiles that got saved would have to be circumcised. And this looks a lot like working our salvation from the outside in rather than the inside out. I have a friend and um, she got saved uh, when she was in her 20s. And uh, she just had just a really supernatural encounter with Jesus all by herself and then looked up and found a church and went to church and came to the altar, gave her life to Jesus, looked around, realized she didn't dress like the rest of the people. So she went to the mall the next day. She looked around for the ugliest clothes she could find. <laughs> and she came back to church because she thought you had to look ugly when you came to church. She thought that was the prerequisite for being a Christian. And we try to work our salvation from the outside in. There's something different between biblical standards and just having personal standards, and there's nothing wrong with that. If you don't want to have tattoos and you don't want to drink alcohol and you don't want to see R-rated movies, there's nothing wrong with having that standard for yourself or for your family. Just don't preach it like it's Bible. That's all. I usually get a little few more claps than that, but... <laughs> I feel like you're just really free of religious spirits here. So you just already knew that. You're like, oh my God, Pastor Dustin says it all the time. Move on, new point, not a revelation. 
I'm glad you're free. <laughs> Apostle Paul continues. He says, if you want to go toe-to-toe, you, you want to go toe-to-toe with me? You think this is all just about your pedigree, your background, and how much you do, and how good you are, and, and how you can fulfill the law and obey all the rules? Trust me, I got you beat. Trust me. Trust me. I, I absolutely, hands down, I have you beat. There's no one that could do it better than I did it. But he uses this word in verse 7 that is just so, so important. He says, if you want to go toe to me, that's fine. But I want you to know that all of these accomplishments that I used to take credit for, that I used to think earned my way into heaven, that I used to think earned my way into pleasing God, I've forsaken them and I regard it all as nothing compared to the delight of experiencing Jesus Christ as my Lord. And I want to make this very, very clear. This is so important. It is so important that as you walk out of here today, that it does not matter where you were born. It doesn't matter who mom and dad were. It doesn't matter your zip code. It doesn't matter your level of education. It doesn't, none of those things matter. When you believe in Jesus, you are a child of God and you have the same standing as your brother and sisters around you. There are no stepchildren in the kingdom of God. We're just one family. Just one family. But what the apostle Paul is not saying, and this is what we do in church. We take this scripture and we're like, see, the apostle Paul counts it as nothing. And what happens is because we, there's two concepts that he is introducing here. He is using the juxtaposition of justification and stewardship. So he is by no means discounting stewardship of our gifts, of our calling, of our skills, of who God wants us to be, and of our potential. What he's saying is that stewardship doesn't get us to heaven. Justification by faith and simply believing that Jesus is who he says he is, come on, brings us into right standing and relationship with Jesus. He's drawing a comparison. In fact, I would argue that it was by very virtue of Paul's past, his education, his knowledge of the Torah, his knowledge of the Old Covenant that enabled him by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to be the authority and the preeminent writer of the New Testament. It was because he grew up in that system that God was able to use the education that he received in order for you and I to more fully understand and grasp the concept of grace. Because he fully understand and lived in the law, he could now fully embrace and live in grace stewardship and justification justification are two different things we just want to throw out the parable of the talents like Jesus never even talked about it you know the parable of talents is that God gave different gifts to different people 
and the one that buried the gift and didn't use it and then dug it back up to give it back to the master, the master took that gift. And the one that he gave gifts to in that one multiplied it. He took the one talent and he gave it to the one that multiplied his gifts. And what's the point? The point is stewardship. That God has placed things on the inside of you. And we have a responsibility as followers of Jesus to partner with the Holy Spirit, to get an education, to hone our skills, to get mentors and coaches in our lives, to surround ourselves with like-minded people that help expand our understanding and our knowledge. Why? Because then that's our testimony of faith. Look what God can do when you partner with him, do his will and do it God's way. We want to be the best example of who God created us to be. This particular passage comes to a beautiful conclusion, beginning in verse 9. It says, my passion is to be consumed with him, not cling to my own righteousness based on keeping the written law. My only righteousness will be his, based on the faithfulness of Jesus Christ, the very righteousness that comes from God. Now listen to this verse. And I continually long to know the wonders of Jesus more fully. To experience the overflowing power of his resurrection working in me. I will be one with him in his sufferings. And I will be one with him in his death. And I continually long to know the wonders of Jesus more fully, to experience the overflowing power of his resurrection working in me. I will be one with him in his sufferings, and I will be one with him in his death. It's important to know the language here the verbiage is of a continual process. Growth. I continually, I continually, I will be over and over and over again. I want to experience the overflowing power of his resurrection working in me. Every one of us as believers has the Holy Spirit working in us. It's the same Holy Spirit that entered the tomb on the third day and breathed life to our Savior's body, quickened him, and raised him from the dead. That same power we have access to the exact same power. It's easy to think, and I, I grew up in church and parents are pastors and like way too many people in our family are pastors. 
I'd like diversify a little. <laughs> it's easy to think. I remember marrying Benny, and you know, we pray for people, and um, people are always all—they're all over the floor. This is your first time here. Don't worry, I'm not that one. But <laughs> they're like, "Oh, I'm getting out of here right now. What's going to happen?" It's okay, Dustin and Benny are having their like revival fest over in Orange County, so you're safe today. Um, <laughs> I would pray for people and like they literally like open their eye like, oh, are you done yet? I thought like something would happen like when your husband prays and I'm like, uh, yeah, I know, everybody thinks that. I remember asking him, I, like, I just didn't understand because it just seemed like this overflowing power of the resurrection was just maybe reserved for like a few special people and I get Pastor Dustin and Pastor Benny they like they they definitely have a supernatural gift but it's the same Holy Spirit we don't we don't have a different Holy Spirit as the band comes back so it begs the question Why don't I always experience the overflowing power of his resurrection working in me? Beauty of this passage is This isn't Paul's first day. This isn't Paul's first church. This isn't Paul's first book. In fact, it's his third to last letter that we now know as a book of the New Testament that he's going to write. It's towards the end of his ministry just approximately six years before he'll be martyred. He's known he was going to go to Rome to be the influence that he is and was. The beauty of this passage is perspective. I continually long to know Oh, man, it just gets me every time. I said I'm not a crier, but oh, Holy Spirit, man. To know the overflowing power of his resurrection working in me. To be one with him in his suffering and be one with him in his death. And it's so easy to think that the suffering and the death is just metaphorical and... We take communion and remember what Jesus has done and we just go on with our life and because Jesus suffered that there's no suffering for us or because Jesus died there's no death for us. I get it, I get it. You're not going to walk out of church 1132 today and be physically assaulted or stoned for your faith. In the Western world, most of us will not face physical assault because we follow Jesus. You're not going to show up to, mon to work on Monday 
And they say, oh, by the way, we're gonna have to let you go because we found out you're a Christian. And by the way, if that happens, you can sue them. So that's just free. There's laws about that anyway. No. No, we're not going to face the same suffering that the Apostle Paul faced, but try changing your mindset or being healed emotionally from trauma in your childhood. And then pick any family gathering you want. Holidays, family reunion, and go get around some family that hasn't changed. And then don't react the way you used to react and see what they say. Oh, you're too good for us now. Start living beyond the mindsets that you maybe grew up with or were told this is what you can do and this is what you can't do and people like us don't get to do that. Start pushing those boundaries and believing what God says about you. And then just go talk to somebody that still believes that way and see what they say. Start getting real about an addiction in your life. Then go hang out with some friends that used to enable that addiction in your life. And when they offer a substance or to watch something and you decline, just tell me how that feels. You see, uh, we're not gonna get beat for our faith, but we highly underestimate the suffering of when we change and those around us who benefited from our dysfunction and the rejection that we can feel because we have decided we're not going to live that way anymore, that God has called us to greater things. Just try. Just try. And that is the beauty of this passage is that the apostle Paul is writing this verse from perspective of growth. And I tell you, I, I, I sat in my room and I'm writing this message and I cried and I told you I'm not a crier, but I was crying because I was seeing different areas in my life and I was seeing moments in my life where things died. And I realize now <laughs> that I don't view it the same way. You know why? Because I've died enough. And that's the beauty of dying to self. That's the beauty of growth with Jesus. Because what once was framed as loss as disappointment, as something being taken away is now being seen as the wonderful experience of the overflowing power of the Holy Spirit because I am one in his suffering and I am one in his death and it is no longer a sacrifice. It is an honor to stand with my Savior, to stand with him and say, I'll die. 
trying to take something away from you. I heard it so clearly this morning. I was praying. I was praying. And I just felt the Holy Spirit say to me, some of us are carrying around dead things. We're asking God, God, give me godly friends. And the other friends don't call us back and we're still chasing them down. God, give me godly relationships and new mindsets. But what happens is we fall back into the old mindsets. Well, maybe just a little bit of law and a little bit of legalism. Why? Because it's safe. It's all we've ever known. But the dead thing that you're carrying around is starting to decay. But it's been with you so long, you don't even notice the smell. You've just become so used to it. Because this is time to let it go. It's time to grow and to experience the overflowing power every single day.